If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 34 this evening. (coughs) Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. This is the Word of God. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer and ask his blessing on his word. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are not silent. And we thank you, Lord, that you speak to the hard issues in life, to worry, to fear, to doubt. We thank you, Lord, that you comfort us. And I pray, Lord, that this evening we would go out from here comforted by your word um, as you speak through me uh, this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was preparing this message, I did a little research. And according to the National Institute of Mental Health, uh, about 50 million Americans, so about 18% of the United States, suffers uh, from acute medical anxiety disorders every year. 18%. Um, just to make that a little bit more concrete, it's a big number, that means that roughly about one in every five of the people here should be suffering from some sort of anxiety disorder this evening. And what's more, the study goes on to say that women are 60% more likely to suffer from some sort of anxiety disorder. Now, these numbers tell us a lot about the kind of society that we live in today. But I don't think that they tell the whole story. And so I want to ask you a question this evening. Are you anxious? Do you worry? And if you do, what do you worry about? It could be that you are worrying about the concerned look you saw on the doctor's face last week. 
um, after he told you that he needs to run some more tests. It could be that your son or daughter is leaving for college in the fall, and you're starting to get concerned about decisions and choices with friends and about them being so far away. It could be this evening that your wife is concerned, that she's worrying because she just found out that she's pregnant and she hasn't told you yet because she's afraid of having another miscarriage. These are the kinds of worries and concerns and doubts and fears that you and I deal with every day. But I want to remind you that there's hope as well in the gospel. And this passage, Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, breaks in on our world, on our world of worry. It tells us very simply, very plain, Jesus is very to the point that we need to focus on God, on seeking his kingdom and his righteousness instead of the things of this world. And we're, now we're going to skip around a little bit in this passage, and we're going to look at it from two different angles, two different perspectives. We're going to look at, we're going to see that it talks about our earthly perspective, and then it also talks about a heavenly directive. So our earthly perspective and the heavenly directive. So first, the earthly perspective. <clears throat> As our passage was being read, what stood out to you? What did you hear? Well, maybe you caught it, but the word anxiety or anxious is used six times over these ten verses. Six times in ten verses. And Jesus is very insistent, too. Not once, but three times in verse 25, verse 31, and verse 34. Jesus just says point blank, don't be anxious. And also, as you're looking at this passage Look at what Jesus says not to worry about. What kinds of things does he talk about here? Well, he talks about food. He talks about drink. He talks about clothing. It's the basics. The everyday, ordinary necessities of life. That economy in um, Galilee, where Jesus gave this sermon, it was a subsistence economy. You lived off the crops that you grew or the fish that you could catch in the Sea of Galilee. It was hand-to-mouth, hand-to-mouth, one day to the next. You never had any extra. That's the kind of world that Jesus is dealing with and to which he's preaching to here. These people had genuine needs, genuine concerns. I mean, just think about it for a minute. If, if whether you ate today, or let's say this, if you're next meal depended on whether you were able to catch some fish. In that kind of environment, worry seems okay. You know, it's, yeah, it's not great, but it makes sense. It seems appropriate. But Jesus says it isn't. It's not appropriate. So, In light of this repetition, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. It should make us stop and think. Why do we worry? Why 
do we get anxious? Think for a minute. What, what is worry? What is it when you get down to it? Well, it, it sort of has this forward-looking quality to it. it it's, it's a fear of what might happen, a, few, a fear of the uncertainties of the future. Uh, how many of you, well, I suppose all of you, well, no, not all of you. How many of you remember the panic that gripped America after 9-11? I know some of us, all Shelby's kids don't. But, <laughs> but think about that. Okay? Picture yourself when you heard, okay, when you heard that news. You probably had the same kind of response that I did. Outrage and fear. Outrage because this sort of thing wasn't supposed to happen to America. This is wrong, but also fear, because it did. And if you then remember the days and weeks and months after that, the question that gripped everyone's mind was, where are they going to strike next? Which building is it going to be? We deal with worry just on a smaller scale in our day-to-day life. When something happens that makes you realize that you don't have control of your future, that is out of your hands, and you feel absolutely vulnerable, you worry. It's our natural response. And it's at this point, then, that sin enters the equation. When Jesus says that we worry, he's telling us two things about our sin in this passage. First, he shows us that we are idolizing the earthly. And then second, that we are um, insulting our Heavenly Father. So idolizing the uh, earthly. Let me reread verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? There's an exchange of importance going on here. We, because of our sin, have a tendency to take good things in life, even things like food, clothing, drink, and lift them up and make them ultimate things. It's our tendency. And when we do that, strange things happen. We become like, and maybe you've seen this, we become like the child at Christmas who rips open the present and ends up valuing the box more than the gift. <laughs> There's an exchange, even though the gift is much more valuable. Or think about it this way. What you fear indicates what you worship. What you worry about shows what you truly value. Jesus starts verse 25 with a therefore. And when there's a therefore in the passage, you need to figure out why it's there. Jesus is building off what he's just talked about in verse 24. And if you look back to that verse, he's talking there about serving. No man can serve two masters. You either worship the one and hate the other or vice versa. You can't serve both God and money. I, uh, the King James Version says mammon, which I like better, but no one knows what mammon is. I prefer, <laughs> I prefer the technical translation, stuff. 
You can't worship both God and stuff. And when the picture that Jesus is painting in verse 24 is of someone slaving away out of this earthly duty to stuff, to the things in their life. They've exchanged God for stuff. And when that happens, we grow afraid of the uncertainties in life. The stuff that could take away what we value, what we truly prize. What you fear indicates what you worship. And when we worry, we show that we're worshiping earthly things instead of God. And that then leads us to the second way that we sin. When we worry, we insult our Heavenly Father. Jump ahead to verse 30 and 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus' point here is clear. Does God know what we need? So when everyone should be nodding their heads, saying yes, okay. He does. He's God. He is our Heavenly Father. And He cares about us so much that He would give up His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place. That's how much He loves us and cares about us. But when we worry, we are saying to God, you really don't know what's best for me. You really don't care about what I'm going through. Some of you have probably experienced the pain of um, having a child uh, turn their back on you, um, reject your care for him or her. When we worry, that's a lot like what we do to God. Like the stubborn teenager saying, you really don't care about what's best for me. Why else would I be going through this? Why else would my life seem so uncertain? If you were truly there, I wouldn't be going through this. When we're anxious about the stuff of this world and try to keep control over it, Jesus here compares us to the Gentiles. Who were the Gentiles? Well, they were the outsiders, those outside God's covenant people. They were the unbelievers. And when Jesus compares you to an unbeliever, it's time to start paying attention, to put it mildly. When we worry, we insult our Heavenly Father. Christ has strong words to speak to us this evening. But he doesn't leave us there. He says them to cut the calluses off our, off our hearts, to heal us, not to hurt us. And then Jesus goes on and also gives us a heavenly directive after showing us our earthly perspective. So we're moving to our second point. Uh, The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, uh, talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And that's a lot like what Jesus does here in this passage. Because there are two parts to what he says, to this heavenly directive. And the first of them is putting off our worry. 
Um, in this passage, Jesus tries to overwhelm our worry by offering argument after argument, showing us just how much he truly does care about us. And you see these two arguments in verse 26 and in verse 28 through 30. And they're both arguments from the lesser to the greater. In verse 26, Jesus points to God's care for the birds of the air. If God can provide food and drink for birds, which are so insignificant, he's definitely going to care for you. He'll provide you with the food and drink that you need for your daily life. It may not be everything you want, but it will be exactly what you need in your particular situation so that you can honor and glorify God. And then in verses 28 through 30, Jesus refers to how God provides clothing for the grass. And in fact, he says that even Solomon in his most majestic royal robes couldn't compare to the beauty of a field of flowers. Now, I, I'm from t- the state of Texas. Go horns. Um, <laughs> and um, the state flower of Texas is the blue bonnet. Absolutely beautiful. And in late winter, they pop up everywhere, uh, in ditches, on the side of the road, in fields. And when a field of blue bonnets bloom, it's like watching a lake with just the, the, the flowers swaying in the breeze on just acres and acres. And it's amazing. If God can clothe the grass with that kind of beauty, won't he care so much more for us, his children? And then in between, verse 27, it's almost like, verse 27, I love verse 27, it's almost like something your mother would tell you. It's just, it's just common sense, right? Basically, the thrust of what Jesus says in verse 27 is that as much as you might work, as much as you might prepare, as much as you might plan, as much as you might anticipate what's going to happen, nothing can add even an hour to the span of life that God has planned for you. Your worrying is not going to make you an hour older or an hour younger. It's that kind of confidence in God's plan that gave Stonewall Jackson the ability to stand in the middle of a hail of bullets and say, God's going to take me when he takes me, but not a moment sooner. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 27. So the thrust of all these things is that Jesus is saying, take your eyes off your situation, off what's going on around you. Put off your worry about the things of this world and put on a concern for something else, namely the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Jesus is calling us to prize God and his glory above everything else, above every counterfeit that this world has to offer. And practically speaking, I know this is presbytery, we're not supposed to be practical, but practically speaking, we do this by putting into practice uh, the Sermon on the Mount. 
which is the lifestyle of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Be salt and light in a dark world. Jesus isn't saying do this in order to become a citizen of the kingdom. Do this in order to gain the kingdom. No, he's saying you're already a citizen of the kingdom, so start living like it. The imperative is grounded on the indicative. And so the bottom line, friends, that Jesus is telling us here is that we don't have to worry. So Jesus has shown us our earthly perspective. He's given us his heavenly directive. But before we close, we need to ask the question, well, who is Jesus that he should be telling us these things? The Greek word for anxiety is interesting. Um, It only occurs 28 times in the entire Bible. Um, Six of those times are here in Matthew, and four more in the parallel account in Luke chapter 11. So over a third of the uses of this Greek word for anxiety occur here, teaching us to put off a concern for the, the things of this world and instead to put on a concern for God's kingdom. Now in the entire Bible, there are only two other places where this word for worry and this, the idea of the kingdom occur hand in hand like this. 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17, which is talking about God's covenant with David. So turn with me to 2 Samuel 7, if you will. 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 10. Second Samuel 7, verse 10. In that passage, God is talking to David, saying to him that he has chosen David to be a ruler over God's people, and that he would make a great name for him. And then, starting in verse 10, he says this, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed. That word could be translated there, be anxious. They will be anxious no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. So God is promising here to put his people in a situation where they wouldn't have to worry about their future, about what's going on around them, about their enemies. God was going to give them rest But then ask yourself, when did that rest, when did that peace happen? Not during David's lifetime. It keeps going on. Uh, Starting then in verse 12, or the end of verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now, when the Jews heard this prophecy, who would they have thought of? David's offspring, Solomon. In fact, Solomon's name comes from that Hebrew word for peace, shalom. 
But ask yourself, did Solomon bring in that peace? Was it Solomon's kingdom that was established forever? No. In fact, Solomon sowed the seeds for the breaking up of the kingdom. And eventually, leading up even to the exile, when God's people are banished from the land, it wasn't Solomon's kingdom that was established. Solomon, as Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, even Solomon, in all his glory, couldn't bring in this total shalom, couldn't bring in this total peace and rest for the people of God. It wasn't his kingdom that God established. That would have to wait until, as Jesus says in Matthew 12, one greater than Solomon is here. Friends, that's why Jesus could tell his disciples, you don't need to worry. He knew that he was, with his life and death and resurrection, going to win peace for his people. He could tell them not to be anxious because he himself would conquer the threat of death and hell, taking away its sting. The penalty for our worry, friends, was laid on Jesus. And he gives us his peace. He makes us citizens of his kingdom, the kingdom that shall have no end. And if you don't believe me, Look at the table. Here is the proof that God has one peace for his people and is giving us rest in Jesus. No matter what you're going through this day, friends, you don't need to worry. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that you have one peace for us. That through your blood spilled on the cross in our place, that you have taken on yourself our sins and put us in a right relationship with God. We thank you that we can enjoy fellowship with you, knowing that no matter what comes, You hold us in your hands, and you will never let us go. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.